awesome uh, to be here and worshiping uh, together. Um, there's also a first, I think we're live streaming this service, and so we're testing it out here. Uh, so uh, perfect timing, I didn't get a chance to cut my hair, but amen. Hi to those uh, watching online, you'll catch that later if you like. But uh, I'm here to uh, present God's word, and I'm really excited about this treasure principle uh, that we've been talking about. This is our second installment of the treasure principle, and, uh, and so we're going to continue on that path. And, you know, i got to admit, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging when your definition of giving gets defined by God. And not by you, me, our emotions, our situation, but by God. And so uh, the book that we're actually going through, if you're interested in reading along with us, is The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn. And so uh, you can go ahead and, and, and purchase that if you want to read with us. But a lot of the, the keys are going to come from uh, that book here. And so let's get started here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We read, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin will destroy and where thieves, um, do not, uh, sorry, where thieves uh, break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, you know, notice that it doesn't say to not store up treasure. God wants us to store up treasures, but the right kind of treasures. The reason why he says don't store up treasures on earth is because they won't last. And so he wants us to store up the right kinds of treasures. You know, we've learned in our last lesson that God sees our faith and our finances, faith, finances, as inseparable. Okay, they go hand in hand. They are not two separate things. Finances absolutely affects our faith. And so we discussed the first two keys of the treasure principle. Key number one, God owns everything and I am his money manager. So if you believe that to be true, okay, God owns how much? Everything. And if you believe that to be true, that God it all belongs to God, then the burden we have is justifying the things that we hold on to. If it all belongs to God, we have to justify the things that we possess, we hold on to so dearly. Are there needs or are there wants? Are there things that we don't need in our lives? Key number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. And so, uh, you know, this, the order of the statement is an important fact here. Money leads and the heart follows as much as we would want to think that, you know, well, first my heart will get there and then that's where the money will go. It will follow the heart. It's actually the other way around. So where our money goes, there the heart will also follow. So the question is that we had to uh, ask to ourselves last lesson was where are we putting God's money? Where is your money Leading your heart. Because our money, our finances, what God has given to us, it's leading our heart somewhere. And we had to take a great look at that. A sobering look at that. In Luke 12, verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds 
of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You know, Jesus gives us here a warning to watch out. To be on your guard. And the part that, you know, really sticks out here for all of us, but in particular, how much more a minister of the living God is to be careful for greed. And maybe you feel like, you know, all kinds of that. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't understand. Like greed, I never felt like I was a really greedy person. You know, I never feel like I'm going after things because I'm greedy. But then the second part there doesn't leave us off the hook. Life that does not, life that does, does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Uh-oh. Okay. Is my life, do I have an abundance of possessions? Is that what I'm living for? An abundance of possessions. You know, because there was a time in my life when having the option to have abundance uh, didn't come so frequently. You know, I mean, there, was, there wasn't many options for my single mom and I. The food, the clothes, the toys. I had no say. There, there wasn't options. Oh, but now, now, I've come a long way from those days. A lot has happened since those days. But does that now give me a license to indulge in abundance of possessions? Jesus would beg to differ. Jesus commands us to focus on living a real life. This is not real life. Jesus commands us to focus on actually giving more than getting, receiving. You know, today we're going to continue with two more keys to the treasure principle. To keep us faithful in our giving. To help us have the right perspective when it comes to giving. So let's go to God here in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, prepare our hearts here as we prepare to engage your scriptures. Father, we understand this is a very serious and real thing to you. Our faith and our finances. That, Father, you want us to get this on straight. This is so important. You speak about it more than heaven, more than hell, because this is a salvation issue. The greed, the abundance of possessions, the love of money, how it could so easily rob us from the true treasure that is found in you. I pray, Father, that you would remove me, that you would, you would take away anything that would hinder anyone in this room from truly hearing you, from truly connecting with your heart about money, about finances, ultimately about what our true treasures need to be. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, guys. Let's get going. One of the greatest hurdles here to giving could very well be this illusion that earth is our home. Not heaven, but earth. And the church can so easily lose focus about the powerful reality that heaven, not earth, is our home. And as a result of that, man, we tend to be indulgent, selfish, self-centered. Weak. We're consumed with our own indulgences. We desire to be comfortable 
with only passing thoughts about heaven. Contrast that with the fact that just about everything that's precious to you and I is actually in heaven. And so I want to remind you about that here this morning. Key number three is heaven, not earth, is our home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Hebrews 11 verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They died not receiving the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. You know, these brothers and sisters before us, their world was not their own. It wasn't their home. They were strangers in this world. They were foreigners in this land. Their behavior was dictated by that fact that the world had no hold on them. Their treasure was banked some, on some place, on some place else, because their eyes were truly fixed on all the things precious to them in heaven. And so let's be reminded of those things here this morning. What awaits us in heaven? Let's be reminded of that here, okay? Awaiting for us in heaven. Now stop reading ahead. Let's start with the first one. You're done reading ahead? Okay, let's start with the first one, all right? Jesus tells us our Father is in heaven, Matthew 6, verse 9. In a real sense, right, the one who is the source of everything for us, God himself, he's in heaven. Not only is the Father in heaven, but our Savior, our Lord and Savior is also in heaven. Not only is our Father in heaven, our Savior in heaven, but our brothers and sisters in the faith are in heaven. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, everyone who has gone before us as faithful disciples are in heaven. Our names, our names are written in heaven. We hold title to a place in that land. And in that land, we'll find our Father's house where there are many, many rooms. In that land, in other words, there's room. You see, because in this land, you and I, we may be told that there's no room. You're applying for that job, you're trying to get ahead, and then they tell you, sorry, there's no room. You're applying for that college, your dream college, or just you're trying to get into this one school, and they tell you, you know, I'm sorry, there's no room. You give your heart to someone, maybe a loved one tells you that there's no room in their heart for you. Jesus, God would want you to know there's room. With God in heaven, there's room. If there were not room, I would not be telling you this. I would not go ahead of you to prepare a place for you, says Jesus. There's room. Our inheritance is there. All the riches of God's glory and his grace are set aside for you and me in heaven. So our Father's there, our Savior's there, brothers and sisters are there, our names are there, our inheritance is there, our eternal reward is there, our citizenship is there. We are citizens of that place. Let's read this scripture, Philippians 3 verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So when you think about heaven, I mean, you got, you got to narrow this down. When you're thinking about heaven, you're identifying the place where your father is, where your savior is, your brothers and sisters are, that your name is there, your inheritance is there, your eternal award is there, our citizenship there. To sum it up, heaven is your home, not earth. Everything we love is there. Everything we cherish. Everything that's valuable. Everything that's eternal. And yet, why do we commit ourselves to indulgence in this foreign land? Self-indulgent Christianity, it's the kind of Christianity that's lost this heavenly perspective. It's as if we don't hope for heaven. At least until earth has offered us and we've exhausted everything that earth has to offer us. And then we're finally too old to enjoy it. We're too sick to enjoy it. And then we gladly welcome and hope in heaven. It's as if, please God, you know, don't, don't send me to heaven just yet. You know, I just, man, I just haven't traveled the world enough, you know. Just haven't been around. I haven't seen all of it. I just, man, I really want to travel the world. You know, I haven't gotten that raise yet that will help me to obtain this dream house. You know, to finally build this dream house. It's going to be so amazing. So God, please, you know, heaven, you know, not yet. You know, we need to learn to live in the light of heaven. There's work to be done for sure. We need to exhaust ourselves investing in the spiritual work that God has us here for. You know, the hope, that hope should fill our hearts. That hope should change our lives. Filling us with joy of anticipation that loosens us from this passing world. Rather than being so tied down to it. So consumed with the things in this world that will soon perish. Instead... Laying treasures in heaven. You know, you don't have to go to a junkyard or landfill. I'll just bring it to you. And it's a sobering picture. Earthly treasures. And you know what these earthly treasures, though, represent? I mean, if you can only imagine times in our lives when earthly treasures, some of them we quarreled about. Some of them we were so willing to go in debt for. You know, some of them we lost friendships over. Maybe we compromised convictions over. There are earthly treasures that now contain secrets that have gone to the junkyard. Marriages broken up over. Honesty, sacrifice. I mean, you name it, and it all ends up where? Here. I mean, if you could take a look, I mean, that the, the depth of that picture, he's going uphill. Mountains of it. You know, here in America, you know, Texas is the second largest uh, methane gas producer, meaning they burn all the trash and it produces methane gas. And that makes sense. We're one of the biggest states right behind California. But boy, there's some other little states too. They're up there with us. But I'm just saying, guys, this is where it ends up. But at one point, man, there were so important 
They consumed us so much. Maybe it's because we're, we've lost our heavenly perspective. We've lost that heaven, not earth, is our home. So where is your true home? Where are you storing treasures? This leads us to the fourth key, to the treasure principle. Key number four is I should live not for the dot, but the line. I should live not for the dot, but for the line. So let me explain this here a little bit. Got a little creative here. Super fancy, right? There's the dot. And the dot represents life here on earth. Okay? And right now, we're living in the dot. And we got to ask ourselves, what are we living for? Because in the dot, this short-sighted person who's living for the dot, it begins, it's a dot, it's stagnant, it's temporary, it's short-lived, it's brief, it's finite, it expires. You guys get the drift? The person with perspective lives for the line. That represents life in heaven. And I know I, I kind of didn't do it justice because it actually continues forever. It's infinite. It does not expire. It's not temporary. It's eternal. So living for the line, a life that lives for the line, is a life of giving. You know, you ever wonder about those, you know, you ever wonder what would happen or if you only just had a little bit more in terms of your finances, if you only just were able to get a break, you know, if you're only able to land on some lump sum of money and, and our perspective would be, well, then it would lead to just, I mean, a better life. I mean, I just, wow, that would totally help me out. You ever wonder about those who strike it really rich? You ever wonder about lottery winners who were waiting for their big break and now they have the financial capacity for this better life? You know, it was really telling, it was really scary reading this list of cautionary tales over the decades of some of the most unlucky winners who lost big. And all these stories, you know, they're filled with tragedy, addiction, infidelity, blackmail, kidnapping, debt, bankruptcy, broken families and marriages, suicidal attempts, murder, regret. Of all these tragic stories, the persons who uh, held their winnings the longest was about nine years. We're talking about at least a million or over a hundred million dollars gone in nine years. You know, sometimes rather than just spending it all away or making bad choices, you know, it's actually taken away. You know, I don't know if you caught this story at the end of last year, but December 30th, a self-employed New Yorker stopped at a convenience store on his way to his upstate New York home. And he bought a merry millionaire ticket, hoping to strike it rich. Well, that ticket won him a million dollar jackpot. And he was interviewed and he said, honestly, this is, this is going to change my life. So he starts 2018 with high hopes, with new resolutions like you and I have done. And he goes to the doctor to get a checkup because it's something he couldn't do before. And it's there that he found out that he had stage 4 cancer. 
And at the age of 51, just a few weeks ago, he passed away. Now let me say this. If you have good health, you've won the best lottery out there. You know, that's not promised to us. And, uh, and, and I hope you join me in prayer. There's many brothers and sisters who are facing some very real and incredible health challenges. And we got to be in prayer. But guys, we can't live for something that death can take away. I mean, we just can't. We can't live for something that when we die, it's taken from us. We can't bring it with us. The wealth we so often believe will bring happiness more often than not brings misery. We think we own our possessions. I'm, under, I'm, I'm in control. Yet in actuality, our possessions often own us. So we need to let go of the dark. I mean, just listen to one of the wisest men to ever have lived. King Solomon. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 will read, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. In other words, the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. Let's read on. As, go, as goods increase, so does who consume it. So, so do uh, those who consume it. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The more you have, the more people, including the government, want to come after it. And will come after it. Right? I mean, we give credit to these rappers, you know, more money, more problems. God said it first. This is where it really comes from. The more you have, yeah. This is a poet, all right. This is a poet. The more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The more you have, man, the more you have to worry about. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. In other words, the more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. The more you have, the more you have to lose. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. As everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. The more you have, the more you'll leave behind. Solomon could live for the dot, had the wealth to do it. And let's look at what he says here, chapter 2, verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. What was his conclusion? Well, in verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained 
under the sun. Wait, wait, Solomon, how could you say that? The toil, the labor, the storing up of things. How could you say that this is meaningless? Wow. Then what's the cure? Then, then how do we live for heaven and not an earthly home? How do we live for the line and not for the dots? Well, here's where we get practical. You guys with me? 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're about to get practical here. Verse 17. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, who will soon be gone, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God who, rich, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. They should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of real life. What's the cure? How do we store up treasures in heaven? How do we live for the line and not for the dot? Well, let's break this passage down here bit by bit. All right, first one. Don't read ahead. Oh, now that I told you to read ahead, you're reading ahead. Okay, you're done reading ahead? Okay, first one. Trust in God. Trust in God. And then it says, tell them who are rich to not be proud and to not trust in their money but to trust in God. So it tells me to tell those who are rich in this world. So let me look at you and let me say, okay, you know what? Ask yourself, are you rich? And if you need help with that question, let me answer it for you. You absolutely are. When you think about that 50% of the world lives on $2.50, less than $2.50. When 80% of the world lives off of $10 or less a day. That's what you spent on coffee and breakfast this morning. That's the world. I would say you're rich. I would say I'm rich. And so what is he telling me to tell you? To trust not in your money, but in God. Put your trust in God. Why not in your money? Because when you're rich, man, it is it is, it is putting us at a serious disadvantage. Do you remember the words of Jesus who told the rich young ruler, guys, it is difficult, it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That puts you and I at a serious disadvantage. We could get consumed. We could get comfortable. We could get thinking earth is our home. We could live for the dot instead of the line. That's why we're at a serious disadvantage. And so he tells us, put your trust in God. Take hold of that. Heed this warning, brothers and sisters. Trust in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Next, he's like, use money to do good. To be rich in good works. Little side note here. You want your money to do some good? How about this Wednesday? Do some good. Married brothers here, do some good for your wife. 
That's my little encouragement for you here. You've been warned. You can't say, man, oh, I forgot. Oh, I didn't know that was coming up. Man, Will talked about it on Sunday. He threw it in there somehow. Now, here's the thing, though. Now, here's the thing. Use money to do good, rich in good works. Oh, Addie, better believe it. She's going to get encouraged. It's going to be awesome. Will's going to hook it up there and, and show her that I treasure her. But did you know that the average consumer on that day or, or towards Valentine's Day spends $160 on average? Well, you know what? Addie's going to get hooked up. Addie's going to feel loved and encouraged by me. And guess what? At a fraction of that price. Now, now, being the spiritual woman that she is, she's fired up about that. Why? Because she knows I'm not trying to be an average consumer. I am a disciple of Jesus. And so I'm going to set an example and encourage my wife on that day. But we also have good works to invest our finances into. And so we have big dreams here in Dallas to see Uptown Ministry be planted. We give to special missions every year. And we want to keep it special. And we do so because it's special to support the work of the gospel being spread throughout Texas. The supporting of our campus ministries around the smaller churches here in Texas. We are, we're, we, I want you to understand, we're kind of like, we're like the big brother here. Okay, we're, we're an example. And so the reality is much has been given, much is expected. And so we ought to excel in this. To give towards uh, ministry plantings, uh, supporting the work throughout Mexico and Eurasia missions. It's so encouraging when they see the giving hearts of our church here. When they see our faces, we're, we're on staff lucky enough to go to these places and to connect with our brothers and sisters who are hungry for the word of God, who are hungry for training and for resources to help grow their church to maturity and to see more souls be saved in Mexico, in Eurasia. That's what we're giving to here. That's the vision here, forging these relationships. Giving generously to those in need, always being prepared or ready to share what God has given to you. You know, I think of the faithful work that Hope Worldwide is doing around the world. And you know, we have been very generous in the sense of giving to disaster relief. When there is a need, when there's a catastrophe, we rise to that occasion. We have. We are known for giving, being a giving church in that sense. You know, as an advocate for the youth, there are always needs for the youth. For our youth to experience things like teen camp and Hope Youth Corps and various events. Any parent will tell you when your kid comes into the teen ministry, boy, you better be setting aside money to invest in your kid's spirituality because it takes money, finances to invest in our youth. You know, one of my dreams is to see every teen at least go to one youth core in their time here. That in four years, they've gone to at least one. Ask any of our teens, our college students who have been to Hope Youth Corps, and all of them would tell you every penny, every single dollar is worth it. What an investment to build relationships and to have a compassionate heart towards 
the world, towards the poor. You know, there will always be needs. And that's why we're called to always be ready to share with what God has been given, uh, what we've been given by God. But if we're not ready, when these needs come, we are stressed. We are comparing ourselves to others who we think are rich and we're not. We start feeling like we're not in a position to give. We start thinking someone else is going to meet that need, but I can't. And so even though I've shared with you all these great things about meeting needs uh, locally, uh, disaster relief, missions, special missions, and blowing that out collectively, the bottom line is Jesus, as he watched the widow put everything that she had, she had nothing left, Jesus watched that. And so in our giving, Jesus is individually watching you if you are partaking in that. So don't get comfortable with collectively we're giving, collectively we're generous. Jesus is saying, how about you? Are you a part of that? I know it's challenging. That's why there's not a lot of applauses. That's not everyone's jumping out of their chair going, amen. But we got to understand this is God's heart. He, he's trying to protect us. Materialism, he's trying to protect us. Indulgence, he's trying to protect us. Abundance of possessions, he's trying to protect us. Being proactive, that's how. Let's be proactive. You know, if I'm going to prepare and always be ready to share with God and with others, man, i got to create a budget that allows me to do that. Since I've been taught how to, you know, take care of the finances, first line of my budget, ask Addy, ask anyone who knows, first one, to God. Contribution. There it is. He absolutely gets the fruits. But then there's also another line. I call it benevolence. That's not just something as a church, other people are doing. I want to be benevolent. I want to be someone that gives to the needs of my brothers and sisters around me. Why? The reality is, I'm one of those brothers and sisters. Yeah, I'm one of those brothers that, that was helped, that was in need. I believe all of us can attest to that. Aren't there times where you were in need? And you got that big break. And it wasn't a lottery ticket. It was a faithful disciple who practiced the scripture and said, I'm prepared to give to you. Will, you're going to camp. Wait, but I can't pay you back. I don't have the means to. I'm not sure. I don't want you to pay me back. Well, he wasn't thinking or she wasn't thinking about, well, let me make sure first this is a tax write-off. Let me make sure that gets set and then I can give to you. No, Will, you're going to camp. Here it is. You're going to youth core. Brother who needed his electricity bill paid. Say, here, bro, here it is. Because I wanted to be benevolent. Imagine what you would have to share if you sacrificed just a little bit more. If you're willing to sacrifice just a little bit more. Your possessions, the things that you take in, the things you purchase. Some things that we just have. You know, for a long time, really until uh, I came into the ministry, I never had cable. Never desired it, but definitely I wanted to do something else with that money. And I wanted to, if I'm going to watch something, I'm going to watch it with other people. It's going to be purposeful. 
So I said that once I became in the ministry, once I, you know, became on staff here, I got cable. Well, why? Because Will's watching TV now and not working on sermons. No, no, no. It's because it's useful for the building of the kingdom of God. If I'm going to watch TV, it's going to be with other people together. If we're going to use the TV and cable, whatever, it's going to be together with others. Because I wanted to do something different with that cable money. I wanted to invest it. I want to invest it in something that will produce spiritual dividends. Guys, this is real life. Jesus calls this real life. When we live this out right here, this passage, 1 Timothy 4, this is real life. Not an earthly life where everything just ends up in a landfill. So giving is the cure. And we'll talk more about that, about giving. But let's embrace the two keys of the treasure principle we've learned here today. That heaven, not earth, is my home. And that I should not live for the dot but for the line. Remember the treasures that you have waiting for you in heaven. Who is there? Our names, brothers and sisters, God, our Savior, our inheritance, our eternal reward, our citizenship is there. But we got to live for the line. Live investing for the future to come that heaven awaits. And that right now, this dot that we live in is not what we're living for. Because this too will pass. And you know, I want to make a difference with the time I do have here. I want to make a difference with God's money that he's allowed me to have in the ways that I can. And brothers and sisters, I hope that you would want to make that difference as well with what you've been given. You can't take it with you, but you could send it on ahead. Amen, guys. Amen.